of the Lord is in this place. I can feel His mighty power. one more time surely the presence of the Lord is in this place I can feel his mighty power and his grace I can hear rush
this service this morning. Don't you love him? Amen. We're going to open the service in a word of prayer. If we could sing that song, Sister Becky, uh, healing is here. And I receive it. Um, uh, we got quite a few prayer requests and uh, quite a few folks that are uh, missing this morning. Uh, we want to remember our uh, Brother Joe Pascal. Uh, his sister is in the hospital uh, with something serious, so we want to just remember uh, her in prayer. We want to remember uh, Henry Coffey, uh, who is doing better, but has been really, really sick last uh, week or two. So uh, it's good to see Brother Peter here, but uh, their whole family, I know, has been going through it, uh, sicknesses. Um, we want to remember uh, the drums. Uh, we miss them a lot when they're not here. And uh, Brother, Joe, Brother Joe's blood count, white blood count, has been quite low, so he's uh, very susceptible to uh, infection. So we want to just uh, continue to remember them. I'm sure they're streaming this morning, but we really miss them. Also, uh, just want to continue to remember the Smiths, our uh, sister Mary and... Uh, Brother Richard, of course, who is her caregiver, that the Lord would bless them, and we uh, greatly miss them as well. Uh, we want to remember the Hughes. They have uh, COVID, so we just want to remember them in prayer. Um, the Jacksons are away. They're moving uh, Caroline back uh, from college uh, for the summer, so we just want to remember uh, them. Whitlocks are not here this morning. They uh, had to work. I remember, I don't see Brother Aaron Nigamanza here. I know it was their anniversary. We are traveling, so I um, want to remember them. It's good to have Brother Tyler here, in spite of that car accident. Uh, so it's good to have him uh, here as well. If you have any unspoken prayer requests, you want to make it known by uplifted head. Brother uh, Ben uh, Pritchard, if you could uh, come at this time, take these needs before the throne. Thanksgiving this morning, Lord, to be able to be in your house to worship you, feel your presence, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would just be with the ones that are sick and afflicted, Lord, the ones that are recovering. May your hand of healing be upon them. We pray that you just bless the minister this morning. Lord, we want to hear your word. And let it be a blessing to our hearts and just take something out of it. We can go and, and grow and we draw closer to you. We give you praise and honor. It's your name we pray. Amen. here.
of it because I'm, uh, I'm getting old and I need those words. Turn around and shake hands with those that are around you. And you may have your seats. We're going to sing um, It Is Well With My Soul. Um, and then uh, Sister Munch is going to come and sing for us after that. So we're excited about that. Um, you know, I was thinking about this this morning as I was uh, getting ready for the, the song service at home there. And um, I love this song. I sing it every once in a while. I really enjoy it because of the fact I'm not worried about what my physical body's feeling. I'm not even worried about what my spirit's feeling. I know it is well in my soul. Amen. And no matter what's going on around me, I'm thankful it is well with my soul. Amen. And I would encourage you as we sing this, think about the words. These, these words are very, very deep and uh, very inspired. Amen. When peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll hallelujah
Two quick announcements. Number one is the ladies' tea is coming up, and uh, you should have got an email. Um, there's a uh, if you didn't see that 
If you don't have email, there is a sign up in the library uh, on what dessert to bring. If you could sign up, today's the last day, so please do that. Also, uh, where is he? I thought I saw him this morning. Brother Billy Ivy, there he is. You're not sitting in your regular spot, Brother Billy. Uh, um, it's his birthday coming up on Saturday, and Brother Barry asked me to make that special announcement. I don't know if he's going to say it again, but happy birthday, Brother Billy. Amen. Amen. We uh, we love Brother Billy and appreciate him, and uh, someday he's going to let me get him back up here to sing uh, and play the piano. I enjoy that. Amen. God bless you, Sister Munch.
Amen. Let's stand. We're going to ask the ushers to come at this time. Thank you, Sister Much. That was beautiful. Brother Johnny, if you could ask a blessing on the offering. As uh, Brother Barry comes and gets ready, we're going to sing that song, I Bless Your Name. In prisoner's chains, with bleeding stripes, all inside, let's pray that
to go back and I want to sing that second verse. And I would challenge you to think about these words because we all have different chains that are trying to weigh us down. They might be financial. Brother Barry's been preaching on that. They might be spiritual. They might be emotional. They might be in your marriage. They might have something to do with your work, your job. Everybody has something that is trying to hold them back. Amen. But I am thankful there is somebody that's a chain breaker. Amen. That is here that can help us. Amen. That cares about us and loves us. Amen. Let's sing that one more time. Some midnight hour. Well, if you should find you're in a prison and in your mind, reach out and pray. Hallelujah. Defy those chains and they will fall in Jesus' name. And I bless your name. I bless your name. I I give you honor, 
today among us. You are worthy of all of our praise and honor, all the devotion, all the sincerity we can muster. Lord, we bring your name before this people this morning and pray that you would be glorified in the praises of your people. Lord Jesus, have your way now, we pray. Meet and need it, meet and deal with every need, Lord, that has been presented to you today. Lord, we think of the young boys, William and Henry. Lord, we think of Jeremy and Chris, Lord, who are traveling today to be at the memorial for their grandfather. Lord, there's many needs, and there always will be many needs as long as we are in these bodies. We think, Lord, of the hues today, and we curse that affliction, Lord Jesus, and pray that you would bring relief to their bodies, Lord, and uh, give them he that your healing touch as only the, the great divine physician can. Lord, we place this service at your feet now today. It is really nothing unless you come and anoint it. It is really just my thoughts, Lord, until you come and anoint it. But I pray you'd pour yourself out upon the word, speak to our hearts. Lord, be glorified in all that's said and done, we pray. We give you this day like an offering. We raise it before you and just say, Lord, take it and consume it. And Lord, may it bring honor and praise to you. In Jesus' lovely name we pray. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. First line. You are not a God. You're not a God. And any mortal man. You're not a God in need of anything we can give by your plan. That's just the way it is. Oh, you are God. God alone, from before time began, you were on the throne. You are God alone. And right now, in the good times, Unshakable, 
Take your Bible this morning. Let's go in the scripture. We're going to look at the book of Exodus and we'll have you read here this morning before we take our seats. Thank you musicians for playing your part this morning. Exodus chapter 18, we'll begin to read there. Just a couple of verses. We'll let you take your seats after that and then we'll pick this back up again. This is a story of Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, observing what's going on in the camp of Israel. They're out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. Every day this great huge lineup comes to Moses because we got problems. We've got problems. We've got issues and we need a, an answer. We need an answer from God. Um, seeking God about something. They all line up and they want to speak to Moses. Everybody wants to talk to Moses. And so Jethro's looking at that and he's saying, my goodness, if that keeps up, you're going to burn out. Verse 18, thou shalt surely we're away. I mean, this is, this is absolutely not feasible. And so he looks at that, and then in verse 19, he says, Hearken now unto my voice. I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be, be, thou, for the people to, be thou for the people to Godward, that thou mayest bring the causes unto God. We don't want to stop that, but here's what we're going to do. Here's what I suggest. Now remember now, this is the father of a prophet giving advice to a prophet, and God honors this. And thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, and shalt show them the way that wherein thou must... Let me read it again. And thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk, and the work that they must do. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all seasons. And it shall be that everyone, every great matter they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge. So, it sh so shall it be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. It's always better when we all bear the burden. I said it's always better when we all bear the burden. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Just a couple of very quick things here. Uh, last night, midnight, was the sign-up for the ladies' uh, tea. If you would still like to participate that and you never got the memo, see Sister Becky, and uh, she can try to squeeze you in there, squeak you in. Jeremy Clavel and Chris Clavel are gone to Johnson City this morning. They have a memorial for their grandfather who passed away. They were here this morning uh, for Sunday school, and they left because the memorial is this afternoon. We want to remember the Florians who have been dealing with sickness, and they're not here today, and we certainly do remember them. 
And also as well, we want to say uh, it's good for the Irishes to be here. Uh, Sister Jen, is, is Brother Andy here this morning? He's here. And uh, we, uh, we were able to attend and be a part of the wedding for Sister Madeline and Micah on Friday. And uh, for each family, it was the firstborn being married. Uh, so that's always quite an adjustment when, when that takes place. But uh, we were able to uh, be there rejoicing with them, and, and uh, it was all uh, very nice and very beautiful. So we're, we're praying that God will uh, bless them and their journey and their life together. And uh, I didn't realize that last Sunday was going to be Sister Madeline's last Sunday here, and I, I, I missed that, and I apologize for that. But uh, we wish them all the very best. I wanted to bring you uh, just a quick note here from Ukraine, and you should not forget Ukraine and the believers over there. Uh, unfortunately, in our way of thinking, in our world, when another headline comes in that's stronger than the current headline, the new headline takes precedence. And over time, issues can be dropped off the front page. But I will tell you, there are still believers in Ukraine. We still support those believers financially and do all we can. Uh, there are some of the believers who have left Ukraine and uh, are in different parts of the uh, European continent. Mostly some have come to Canada, a few that are in the U.S. And uh, it's really nice to be able to uh, hear from them uh, every now and then. This, uh, this brother over on the left in the front row is Brother Manats. And uh, Brother Manats is from Armenia originally, uh, where the original Pentecostal revival broke out in the early 1900s. And uh, he moved to Ukraine, started a church there, very poor group of folks uh, that are all farmers, and Brother Manats is as well. And uh, we've been helping the people in that church. And he wrote and said, precious brothers and sisters, thank you for your service, Brother Coffee, your assembly, and all the brothers and sisters, thank you for your monetary support for us here in Ukraine. And may God bless you and fill all your needs. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts and may God be glorified uh, and so forth. So uh, I, I sent that uh, little note out from them. There were several other testimonies that they sent me uh, over this week, but this was one I just wanted to share with you. This is a sister, Elena. I don't know, I, I don't know that I've ever met them. Most of them, uh, most of them remember me because I, I was in conventions there. But uh, she writes, thank you, brothers and sisters, my testimony for, for the glory of God. I was on my way to work this morning and was thinking about my need for money for medical treatment by the end of May. And I don't know where to get it. And I told myself that God would take care of it. I turn on my cellular internet and instantly I receive a message that a money transfer has arrived. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed are you and may the Lord take care of you all. Uh, you, you and I don't know what it's like to live in a culture where there is absolutely no government support, no government intervention. There's no program you can go to and say, will you treat me in a hospital because I don't have the money? Or will the government pick up the, the, you know, the need and provide Medicare, Medicaid, or something else? There is no program in that part of the world. In, that, in, in, in Ukraine, once the war started, they emptied the hospitals and prevented people from getting treatment. Uh, the hospitals were all dedicated to wounded soldiers. And so therefore, uh, for them to be able to get treatment is a real challenge, uh, and to get medicine on a regular basis is a real challenge. So this little amount that's triple, trigger, sorry, 
this little amount that's trickled into those believers very often is truly a lifeline for them. We send funds every month. It doesn't stop by God's grace. Every month we send funds uh, through the channels over to the people over there and they get it individually. It, it's broken down into small amounts, smaller amounts, smaller amounts, and they will transfer those uh, by phone uh, to people and they can cash out on that and they can uh, have those needs met. So um, we're very thankful for the support that's given for that, but it has not ended even though it's not on the front page. You understand what I'm saying? Those needs are still very real. And when that need ceases to be a need, I will let you know. Okay? We're glad to have Brother Tyler here with us today. And if you, if you uh, read the uh, update, Brother Tyler was in a, uh, an accident, hydroplaned on Friday night. And uh, have they totaled a car? We don't know. Uh, don't know. But it ain't in good shape. And, uh, but Brother Tyler is here in good shape. And we appreciate that. Looking as handsome and suave and debonair as ever. That we appreciate that. Appreciate God's intervention in our lives. Even when we're not looking, he's watching. And we're thankful for that. Now, one last thing I wanted to say. In southern Malawi, <clears throat> we, uh, uh, we had an amount that was given to us for the people who were devastated by Cyclone Freddy. Uh, <clears throat> they, they made a, a decision among the pastors there to help the believers by giving them a mat. That mat will be their basement or their foundation to build a house. So they're going to erect tents and sheets, bits of tin, in order to rebuild their houses again. They have nothing. And so we purchased a bunch of these, and you see them with yellow bags there. They have some essential supplies and plastic that's going to allow them to primarily build a little simple structure, but to get out of the camps that were built for people who were refugees. So here's another picture. That's our truck there that all this stuff was delivered in. The people over there don't have a means to say thank you. They don't have a way to write us a note and send, say thank you. So they sang us a song, all right? And here's the song. If you can hit play, and we need volume on this, if you don't mind. Uh, let's, see if we can, let's see if we can do this. Turn it up there, if you will. Can you pause it? This scene was the town. The cyclone did this. It took away everything. So this is where they're going to rebuild now. They came back to their town site, and they all have their mats and bits of plastic. But this is what's left of their town. Can you imagine if you drove to Hickory this morning... And that's what you saw. But this is all mud and sand that came from the mountains and literally lifted the town off its foundations except for the little brick building there and took everything away. And so these people now are out of those camps and are coming back into this place where they once lived in their neighborhoods to rebuild. So to me, this is a real honor to be able to help people who are in that situation there. I'm not trying to raise funds. I'm not doing that. I'm just telling you this is what it's like. And it's hard for us to imagine what that's like until you see a picture like this and realize, wow, this is something. But to go there, 
and to experience the heat, the mugginess, future rains that come. When it rains again, everything turns to mud because there's no roads. There's no nothing there. Everything turns to squash as soon as uh, the rain starts up again. So for them, they're pretty thankful to have something to start with. Finish it out, John, if you will. There's only a little bit left here. If there's any. Okay. Let's... That's it. Well, let's jump into the word this morning. Spirit and truth, number three. Now, <clears throat> we're, we're subtitling this because that's an impressive thing to do apparently, uh, is to subtitle this, Overcoming a Culture That Is Running From God. And that's where we find ourselves. We find ourselves in a culture that is running away from God at full speed. And so we want to know then, how do we deal with that, and what are we supposed to do in a time like this? Now, we find that in, the, uh, in this example, and I, I, love, I really love this great story of uh, Moses' predicament, uh, where Jethro comes and brings back Moses' wife and two children, and... Uh, Moses shows him uh, what's, what's happening in the camp, and he tells uh, Mo- Moses the, sorry, tells Jethro the great stories of, of the Exodus. He shares with him how they came across uh, the Red Sea, and uh, the waves, uh, the sides of the sea opened up, and they got out on dry land, all the miracles that, uh, that were a part of that great deliverance. And Jethro's really impressed with that. The next day, they get up, and Moses goes to work. Takes his lunch, goes off to work, and Jethro's looking at him, and he's observing this in the camp, and sees this huge, humongous lineup of people that are coming to ask Moses questions here, to have cases settled, and to have disputes mediated, and also for people to hear from God, because they knew a prophet can do that. And so Moses, from morning till night, Moses is doing this. Jethro observes. Then he gives Moses this suggestion here, and uh, Moses puts that in place. And the Bible says in verse 24 that he hearkened unto the voice of his father-in-law and did all that, that, that he said. And Moses chose able men out of uh, the group of Israel and made them heads over people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, and so forth. And that's how that issue was settled. But what's interesting is that we find in the verse 21 there is the key verse, Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men. Able men were, <clears throat> the definition in the Hebrew language means that they were financially sound. That's what they were to look for. So these are the kinds of men now that God wanted to have assist Moses. These are the kind of people I want you to pick, all right? So they had to have these characteristics. In other words, they were not loose with money. They were not, uh, you know, extravagant uh, people. Uh, they were people who were responsible, in other words. They were good stewards. And then uh, he says, pick out such able men, such as fear God. In other words, they had a respect for the word. Uh, they had a, a reverence for God's word. And they were also men of truth. They hated covetousness. He said, place such of them over uh, these tribes here so that they can, uh, they can rule and do that responsibly. So in other words, uh, they're chosen because of what their testimony already is. 
They're not chosen and then uh, becoming responsible and becoming men of truth. They are men of truth, and that's why they're chosen, all right? And that means, very simply, in the Hebrew, it means firm, stable, uh, firm, faithful, and stable. That's what these men were. They were not able to be swayed by favoritism. They were not the type of men who would take a, uh, you know, a 20 underneath the table. Uh, they were not the type of people who had favorites in the community. Hey, when you stood in the line and you came before this group of men who were uh, settling disputes now, they realized they were acting in the place of Moses. They were actually taking some of Moses' work and doing it. Therefore, they had to be as faithful as how they felt Moses would be faithful. And so they were chosen very carefully, and they were firm, faithful, and stable. I think that's a great definition of that. The Bible says in Deuteronomy that God is the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are judgment. A God of firmness, faithfulness, and stability, and without iniquity. He's just and right, is he. So this was the idea that, uh, that God uh, impressed upon Jethro to tell Moses, and Moses did this, and God honored this. Uh, these are the kinds of people that uh, God wants to have in his service uh, to lead the people and to be able to help, help be able to settle uh, the disputes that were there. Now, in the, uh, in, in the scripture, we find that uh, this, this phrase or this character quality, I need you to stay with me today because you're not going to be thinking about where I'm going to be going. You're, you're not going to, I'm sorry, you're not, you're not going to figure it out where I'm going right at the beginning here. So stay with me because we're going to turn a couple of corners. This idea of men of truth, men of valor, uh, this, this is something that's very common uh, in Scripture as we find where God identifies certain men. And uh, remember now, these are people without the Holy Ghost like we understand the Holy Ghost. These are people who are part of the body, though. They're believers. They're followers of the message of their day. And uh, we find that in, in the Scripture, like whether it is in uh, the book of Genesis, for instance, under Joseph, it says that Pharaoh spake unto Joseph and said, Thy father and thy brethren are come with thee. The land of Egypt is before thee, and the best of the land make thy father and brethren to dwell. In the land of Goshen let them dwell. And he says, now, remember now, this is Pharaoh's commission to, to Joseph here. I want you to bring your family, bring them to Goshen, let them have the land before you, and you're the one who's going to administer all the grain that's in Egypt. Our lives are sitting in your hands. You've got to manage well, right? You understand the importance of the commission. He's not, this is not just anybody. This is Pharaoh recognizing character in Joseph, and he's saying, I want you to, uh, I want, I want you to realize the gravity of the, of the position that you're in, because all Egypt will depend upon your, your management and your stewardship over the next seven years. We know there's going to be a famine. We knew there was going to be seven years of plenty. Now there's going to be seven years of famine. It's going to get rough. Going forward, it's going to get rough. And Joseph, you're the man God has chosen. We want you to uh, carry out this task here with all uh, stewardship, all responsibility, all integrity. Uh, we want you to do this God's way. And he says, I want you to take your father and your people and put them in the land of Goshen. And if thou know any men of activity, men of activity among them, then make them rulers over my cattle. This is quite an honor here because this is Pharaoh's farm. This is the farm that feeds the king's table. And so he says, if you know any men of activity among you, does that just mean type A people? Does that just mean people who, uh, you know, have their plate full all the time and are full and running over? Nope. This means men of valor who are strong, mighty, efficient, 
wealthy, and they are leaders of an army. So they don't necessarily have to be rich, but they're good stewards. God's requirement is never that we be rich, never that we be popular, never that we uh, be the, the top of the pile. If you're, a, uh, for instance, if you're a truck driver, it's okay to be a truck driver. You don't need to be the owner of the company, but you should be a good truck driver. If you're a business owner, it doesn't mean that you're going to be on the, uh, you know, the Fortune 500, but it means that you should be the best business owner that you possibly can be. If it doesn't mean that uh, you're going to be a Rhodes Scholar in school, but if you're a student, you should be the best student you possibly can. If you're a housewife, it doesn't mean that your children are all going to turn out perfect and everybody comes to, comes to church on Sunday morning all ironed, shoes polished, everything all in order. It doesn't mean that. It just means that you're going to be the best housewife that you can be using the resources God's given you. And all the housewives said, amen. So therefore, uh, this is the kind of people that Pharaoh says to Joseph, I, I want you to have that kind of men. Now, I'm saying all that because I, I don't know about you, but I would like to be that kind of man. I'd like to be that kind of a person that's chosen to do something for God, wouldn't you? I, I'd, I'd like to be the kind of person that God can say, hey, listen, if Brother Branham showed up on the scene, he's not. But if he showed up on the scene and God said, hey, I need 100 men who can lead the bride across the finish line. I, I'd like for, I would like for, for him to be able to say, oh, Brother Barry, he's one, and Brother so-and-so, Brother so-and-so. I, I, my, my goodness, what a great honor that would be. But I will tell you what, God would, God would allow me to be picked only because of what I am, not of what I would become because I was picked. If this principle is right, do you understand what I'm saying? If this principle is right, I want to be this now so that I can be chosen to do something or do a work for God later on up the road. Is that right? So remember now, this, this, is, the, this is the idea. Now, if we find in the New Testament over here, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, our weaknesses, and we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but... The Spirit itself maketh intercession for us, which groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he makes intercession for the saints. The, the Holy Spirit has a keen awareness of what it is that's going, in our, going on in our hearts and our lives, and he knows exactly how to help us to become what God wants us to become, because God knows what role he has for you to play. Now remember, we're talking about overcoming in a, in a world, that's, in a culture that's running fast from God. And, and therefore, we want to be the kind of people like Daniel that God would choose, right? And, and the, the book of Daniel is a story of what happened to Daniel in that season, and God chose him and, and did it for a very specific reason. Now, what's really neat also about this, uh, this scripture and the, one, the couple here I want to read from, just before we get into our main topic is that in the Old Testament, they had to go stand up in a line in order to see Moses. And, you know, you can imagine how it would have been back in that day. They're all standing in line. They're all just on their phones, and they're, you know, looking at the time, and they're moving up in line, and they had to wait, and they had to wait. And they're just, you know, you run out of things to text after a while, right? You run out of things to watch. You've actually come to the end of the Internet in a line that long. And then more than likely, if you have two million people who are in, in, in line to see Moses, I mean, let's say, let's say one-third of them had, uh, you know, had problems. Well, you still got, what, 800,000 people, 900,000 people who are in a line? Well, let's say, they're, let's say you're one-tenth of the people. Well, you still got 200,000 people in line. You know, you're... 
I went into Target the other day, and uh, we have a young man and his wife who come to church here, uh, John Anthony and Hannah, and uh, I don't see them there today, but I was in, I was in Target the other Sunday, and uh, they were, the, the line in Target was so long, I couldn't believe it. I thought, is it Good Friday? Is it Black Friday? And I, 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 I asked some guy standing there in the middle of the aisle, I said, is this the line? He said, yep, go back that way. And I didn't want to mess with him. So I went right back to the line, right back to the end of the line. I'm back there. I mean, um, and I look up that line because, I mean, I'm a type A, right? I got stuff to do. I got places to go. I'm only buying a couple of things, you know. And I look up there, and there's John Anthony and Hannah right at the front of the line. And I start, you know, because I'm on my phone like everybody else, right? And I'm sending them texts. Can you hurry up? Can you please hurry up? Everybody behind you is pretty frustrated here. Can you hurry up? They're looking at their phone. They're saying, who's sending? Where is this coming from? Oh, this is our pastor. Where? And they're looking around. I'm hiding behind the people. It's all a game. It's all a game. All I'm saying to you is that they had to line up in this great lineup to see Moses. I got news for you. You don't need to line up today to have an appointment with God. You don't even need to have Brother Branham here to have an appointment with God. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit searches your hearts and knows, he knows exactly what is the mind of the Spirit. 1 John chapter 5, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he what? He tells you to get in line. That's not how we do it today. By God's grace, he heareth us. When we come to God and we ask him things, he heareth us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that are desired of him. That's what a comforter is. He is summoned to call to your side. He's one who pleads your cause before a judge, counsel for the defense. In other words, the Holy Spirit replaced all of that process in Exodus chapter 18 there. And he says, you can come to me anytime. You can knock on my door. You can seek and you will find. You can knock and the door will be open. You can seek your heavenly Father, any time, day or night, no matter where you are in the world, and he heareth us. Do you believe that? I believe that with all my heart. Hebrews 4 says, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmity, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So in other words, if you have a need, you don't need to come to some preacher you don't need to come to some particular camp meeting or church service. You don't need to do that. You need to go to God. You need to drop on your knees and go to God and say, Lord, I have a need. I've got a concern in my family. I've got a sickness here that I can't fix. And we have a problem we don't have an answer for. Hey, glory to God. We don't need to get in the line. We don't need to come and, and uh, uh, physically show up at some particular place here. You have, you have a communion with God that the people in the Old Testament would envy. How many would agree? My little children, 1 John chapter 2, these things write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Glory to God. Brother Bram says in the children of Israel, under the blood, it all looks like sons and daughters to him as long as they're confessed and under the blood. Let me say that again. Under the blood, it all looks like brothers and sisters to him. Let me say it again. Under the blood, it all looks like brothers and sisters to him. 
You may be in the message a little while. You might be in a long while. You might have really blown it last week. You might really have some things going on in your life that you can't fix. You might have a, a list of mistakes that would impress the devil. Let me tell you, I will, I will say this. Under the blood, it all looks like brothers and sisters to God. You know what the difference is? Is the blood. And when you confess your sins and put them under the blood, you know how God looks at you? Not as a loser, not as somebody who's made a lot of mistakes. God looks at you as someone who is a brother and sister in Christ. Glory to God. So if you've done wrong, get under the blood and confess your sins. For if we fall from grace, we have an advocate with the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. God knew you'd still be in that carcass this morning. God knew you'd still be in that body with that mind that wanders. God knew you'd still make mistakes all over the place, but he made a provision for us. And if you have done wrong, get under the blood, confess those things and make them right and go on. None of us have a perfect family. None of us have <clears throat> a perfect track record. None of us have things that uh, we've done, you know, 100% right all of the time. Hey, listen, to me, it's amazing how that God is still patient and loving and, and merciful to us, even when he corrects us and we go back and make the mistakes again and then go back and make the same mistakes again and go back and make the same mistakes again. I thank God for our loving Heavenly Father. Oh, he said if it wasn't for that advocate, we'd be, we'd be all gone. But in there, we're brought under the rich royal blood of the Son of God. And before God, we are pure and holy. Before God, we are pure and holy. I will tell you what, if somebody's critical of you, they're not looking at you like God looks at you. And you ought not to worry about that because under the blood, it all looks like sons and daughters to him. All looks like, all looks like you know, brothers and sisters to him. I, I'm, I'm glad for the blood of Christ, aren't you? So there's no big ones here, little ones here, higher ups there, you know, this, this uh, premium person or that premium person here. Under the blood, hey, you know what? It's all the same. It's a level playing field. In, in, the, uh, in, in, in the great wedding that we go to, in the, in the great wedding supper that we go to, I believe that we're all going to be dressed with the same kind of a robe. The same kind of a robe. Remember that parable that Jesus gave us and they all had the same kind of a robe and they found a man that didn't have that kind of robe. I want to have that kind of robe that God gives out. I want to be under the blood of Jesus Christ. So he looks at me and sees me the same as he sees you. And if God can do that, I think we should practice that as well. I think that we should see one another as God sees one another and we should look at each other with grace instead of conviction and say, we are better than them. And we have a, uh, we, you know what? We have a more arrogant spirit than everybody in the church. The Bible says in 3 John chapter 1, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Truth is our sister down here in the front row, Alethea. What is true in any matter under consideration in things pertaining to God and the duties of man. What is true under any circumstances. What is true is true. Two times two is four is true. You know what? It's true in North America. It's true in India. It's true in China. Divorce hurts. It's true here. It's true anywhere else. There are things that are found in Scripture that are stated very clearly, and you cannot change churches and soften the blow. It's still true. I'm not saying anything about you folks here because you've all changed churches at some point, because <laughs> this church wasn't always here. We find this phrase, I just want to get you familiar with the idea that 
the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, this is uh, Gideon, and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor, a man of strength, a man of courage, a man of integrity, a man of, man of uh, honesty. And, and this, this is the kind of people that God will pick. Now, if you don't mind, take your Bible. I'd like you to go to Daniel just for a moment here. Just, just find it with me because I don't have a lot of these scriptures written out here on the screen. But if you have your Bible, and I kind of hope you do, let's go to the first of Daniel here and just, just very quickly here. <clears throat> and, and go to chapter 1, if you will. This is the passage here in chapter 6 where it says, when the king hollered out to Daniel after he was lowered in the lion's den, Daniel, are you still with us? And Daniel answered back, My God has sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. They have not hurt me. For as much as before him, for as much as before him, before God, innocency, which is the Hebrew word for purity, was found in me. And also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. So Daniel is, is answer, he's answering the king here, and th that's what he says, that God has done this. Now, Daniel didn't go into that experience knowing what God was going to do in the same way that the three Hebrew children didn't know what God was going to do, but they did it anyway. And when they did it, then God moved. Somebody ought to say amen. Now, if you're in Daniel chapter 1, we find this is very familiar to us, and I'm not going to belabor it here, but just to, just to illustrate a couple of points here in verse 5. Daniel and his three brethren are in Babylon, and they are systematically being de-Hebrewized. I am fully aware that that's not a word, okay? I appreciate your patience. They are being de-Hebrewized. They are being disconnected from their Hebrew culture. They're already physically out, but now... Nebuchadnezzar realizes, in order for me to get any value from these young men, they have got to have that culture displaced and our culture put in there. And we have to take away their values, their emphasis on the Bible, their kind of worship, their educational uh, standards, everything about the Hebrew culture we're going to strip that away from them and we're going to replace it with something. So it's not just taking away the culture, but it is replacing it with something that is of a different culture. Isn't that right? Same boys, but now the, the culture becomes the pressure. And so they are required, they are being, they are being imposed upon by the king uh, because of their talents, their uh, brilliance. You know, they're bright young guys, they're all American uh, fellas, and much like we have on the front row here, and they're, they're all young men of integrity, and, and uh, the king sees that, and he says, hey, you know what? we got to make them less Jewish. we we got to get that Jewishness away from them, and we got to make them Chaldean. And so therefore, they surround them uh, with Chaldean culture in a big way, in an aggressive way. And I, I, I think that it would be good for you this morning, and I know you're listening, it would be good for you this morning to think about this is not just about Daniel, but I believe that that same spirit still exists today to impose another culture upon our young people 
and to try to, as, as systematically as he possibly can, to desensitize our young people to the culture of, of uh, Christianity and the culture of the Bible and the culture of the message, because we all, we, all three of those things are a real thing, and to desensitize our young people to that and, and sensitize them to another culture out there that is absolutely bound for tribulation. Is that all right? And, and that's pretty aggressive. That's pretty strong. As a matter of fact, uh, five years ago, if you had told us it would be like it is today, we'd kind of, we, we would laugh about that. But uh, things have gone pretty far, pretty fast. And I can only, I can only predict that it's probably going to go faster, farther uh, in, in, the, in the days and years that, uh, that lay ahead of us. How many would agree? But I will tell you something that, uh, you know, when God looks at Daniel and the three Hebrew children, when God looked at them, uh, he did not accept that imposition of another culture. He still treated them as Jews. You know that? He still looked at them as Jews. Come on, somebody ought to say amen. Because this book, look at the very top of your, uh, of your chapter there. What does it say? The book of? Say it. It doesn't say the book of Belteshazzar. God did not accept the new name. God did not accept that Chaldean name there. Well, you know, the king made a law and uh, changed Daniel's name, so therefore we're going to call it the book of Belshazzar. Nowhere is it called the book of Belshazzar, and nowhere do we find that God accepts that change in culture. God still treats them as who they are. I believe it's very important for us as parents and grandparents and, and leaders in the church to make sure our young people know that you are what you are by the grace of God and God has raised you up in a certain environment here, not by accident, but by design. And God has given you a Christian heritage. He's given you a Christian background. He's given you an exposure to the things of God that most other ages never even dreamed of. And you should make sure that you do not let the culture come in and strip that away from you and put Put something else in there. God placed that there. And God does not want you to let that slip. God wants you to hang on to that. It doesn't matter what everybody else does. It doesn't matter what the culture does around you. It doesn't matter what the school says or something else. Hey, listen, we either believe God or we don't believe God. I said we either believe it or we don't believe it. We're either in it or we're not in it. And I believe this, saints of God, that the way to survive a culture that's running headlong away from God is to draw a line. And that's what Daniel did. He drew a line. And when, as we read in the scripture here, when Daniel looks at this and he says, after three years, look here in verse 5, and the king appointed them a daily provision from the king's meat of the wine and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might be stand before the king. That was the program. That we're going to do this for three years. Three years is a long time for a young person. And three years is enough time for Satan to really, uh, you know, impress a young person that, hey, we've got it better in Babylon and we've got, uh, we've got this practice and we've got that. And so this was the plan. They were going to be domesticated to that culture there. But Daniel, it says in verse 8, he purposed in his heart that we would not defile himself. What you do not find prior to verse 8 is anything that God says. You don't find anything prior to verse 8 that God told Daniel to do this. I said, God never told Daniel, Daniel, don't eat that. You know where that was? You know why Daniel came to this conclusion? Because the word of God had said, Daniel, we don't eat things that are offered to idols. 
God did not, hey, God did not have to make a personal visit to Daniel and point out the Bible and say, hey, Daniel, don't forget. God didn't have to do that. You know why? Because Daniel had a living relationship with God and he knew, he knew the nature of God and he knew that if God said it and gave it to a prophet years ago, uh, you know, in Moses and all the other prophets back there, that God meant what he said. And so therefore, Daniel drew a line in the sand when it came to violating God's word. And he said, you know what? I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll do something else. And you can call me by Belteshazzar and so forth. But I'll tell you what, I'm not going to cross that line. And if you want to know how to overcome a culture that's running away from God, you draw a line in the sand. Because it was only when he drew a line, that's when God moved on Daniel's behalf. God, God did not... God did not do something for Daniel and then Daniel say, hey, I'm going to make a stand. I'm going to draw a line. Nope. You know what Daniel did? He drew the line first and then God moved. A lot of times people say, well, you know, if God will take away smoking and God will uh, do this and God will, you know, help me pay my tithes and, and all. Hey, listen, there are some things that the word says very clearly. If, if, if God will only help me not cut my hair. I'm not sure how God could help you do that uh, any more than what he's already said. Because if, if you don't know that, you're not listening to Brother Bram's sermons. Because he says it in almost every single sermon. And it, it's, it's, not only, it's not only a requirement of God, but it's something that a prophet elevated to a pretty important position. And don't get quiet on me, saints of God. Uh, let me tell you, if you want to be an overcomer and you want to have your kids to overcome, you draw a line. And when you draw a line, you watch God go into action. But don't wait for God to do stuff and then you draw a line. You've got to be willing to say, I believe this is right and I believe I'm willing to stand on it even if God doesn't give me a dream and even if God uh, doesn't speak to me audibly and even if Brother Bram doesn't appear to me in my dreams here, I'm going to draw the line because the Word says so. And when you begin doing things because the Word says so, you've got a better chance at overcoming a very corrupt culture around you. And when you draw that line in your household, your kids are going to find it easier to draw the line also in that household. Oh, you say, Brother Barry, that was Daniel. Didn't Brother Branham do the same thing when his pastor in the Baptist church had women preachers? And Brother Branham said there's a line, and there's a line in Scripture, and I'm not going to cross over that line. Didn't Joseph in Genesis draw the line when Potiphar's wife came after him? And Joseph said, I'll do this, I'll, I'll work for Potiphar, I'll be a slave, I'll be a good slave, I'll do this. But you know what? It's, it's not lawful for me to take that man's wife. And he drew a line. When they draw the line, when they drew the line, that's when God went into action. I wonder today, is God waiting for us to draw a line? I wonder today, you young guys, you young Daniels that are here, and you young Danielesses, I wonder, is God waiting for you to draw a line before you see something in your life happening? You say, I'm struggling with this, and I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to give up this. I'm trying to be a better person. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just waiting on God to do it. Hey, many times the Bible has already given us very clear, sound instruction about what we should do, and you need to draw a line. You young sisters, you, you Daniel S's that are here, you need to draw a line and say, morally, this is where the line is. And I'm going to draw this line. And I'm not going to let any boy infringe upon that line. I'm not going to let any boy, I'm not going to let anybody coerce me into crossing that line. I'm not going to do it. And, and when you do that, you watch God fight on your behalf. Did it work? Did it work for Daniel? Well, we find 70 years later, 
<laughs> Daniel's 85. Nebuchadnezzar is dead. The Persians have taken over Babylon. Daniel's good. Oh, come on. I thought I'd get Brother Barry, that was a pretty good statement. Yeah, you're right. Amen, Brother Barry. Yeah, great. Amen. Oh, let me say it again. 70 years. Did it work for Daniel? 70 years afterwards, Nebuchadnezzar is dead. Babylon has gone under because Persia has taken over and Daniel's doing good. Let me ask you, did it work for Daniel to make a stand? Did it work for Daniel to draw a line in the sand? You better believe it did. Because the end result proves what actually happened here. The end result actually proves what happens. It doesn't matter that you just say it. I believe that you've got to draw the line. And you've got to stand behind that line. And you've got to be willing to die on that line. Hey, let me tell you, it doesn't matter that people in this country say, oh, God bless America, when America doesn't want to bless God. We're living in a culture that has all the right words, they've got all the right jargon here, but their, but their footsteps are not actually anywhere near the line at all. That line has become pretty blurred in our culture here. I don't want to be a part of that. I want to be identified with the people that are willing to draw a line and say, listen, it doesn't matter that God appeared to me, it doesn't matter that I knew Brother Branham, and it doesn't matter that I have a piece of his floor. What matters is that the word said it, and that's where my stand is, and I will, I will draw the line based on that word. That's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to trust that if I do do that, then God will move on my behalf. Brother Bram says, if you want to know in political powers or political time, what time it is in the kingdom, he said, watch where the Jews are physically. If you want to know where the church is standing, watch the women and watch the morals among the women because she's a representative of the church. He said, I wonder then, 1959, I wonder then what the church ought to look like. How pretty it ought to be at the coming of the Lord. I wonder, think about, I want you to think about this. I wonder how, what the church is going to look like by the time this, this all ends. I think that's a good question. Matter of fact, I'll say it this way. Brother Barry, that's a great question. Amen. If you won't amen me, I will. I wonder, he says, what the church is going to look like and how pretty it ought to be at the coming of the Lord. My goal is not to be pretty. Because you know what? I tried and failed. But I will tell you this. I want to be a man of valor. I want to be a man of truth. How many of you, how many of you ugly men want to be a man of truth? How many of you sisters want to be a, a Daniel S. And, and somebody who's willing to draw the line and stand there. Raise your kids in integrity and, and honesty. Hey, to some of us that are well beyond the line when it comes to beauty and prettiness. But I'll tell you what, God is not looking at the facial features. God is looking at the rugged character of a Christian man or a rugged character of a Christian young man and looking at their standards and looking at how they hold true to the Word of God. Brother Bam said his robes should be washed in the blood of the Lamb. All the divine, all the divine orders of God set perfectly in order in it. No friction. crickets, just waiting for that moment. <clears throat> Here's what you need to know. God will have it that way. <clears throat> My goodness. I don't know how you feel about that at this moment, 
But I got all kinds of voices in my head. <laughs> Things that we could comment on here. There's a series of sermons in this quote. What will the church look like? I think it's good that we're teaching on adoption on Wednesday nights. By now, I feel like we're going to eclipse Brother Reagan in terms of numbers. <laughs> what are we supposed to look like in the end time? What are we supposed to look like in terms of God seeing approval in us? God seeing us as adopted sons. What, 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 are we, what should that look like? Should it mean that we have a big church? Should it mean that we have a group of people that run around and get really excited or a preacher that sweats to the end of his tie? Should we, uh, should we have a lot of missionaries and all the other things that we, we consider, listen, that we consider to be successful in terms of the world and how they grade churches these days? What, what, what does this church look like? All the divine orders of God set perfectly in it. All the divine orders of God. One of the divine orders of God is communion and foot washing. Just like water baptism is an ordinance of God, communion and foot washing is an ordinance of God. I think that we, we should all show up when it comes to having communion. Because we should not like, look like a church half full when it comes to that. Well, I, you know, I, 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 I'll get baptized correctly, but I'm not going to do that. Well, <laughs> it's not my ordinance. So you're going to have to take it up with a higher power. My, that's above my pay grade. I, I'm sorry. Or to have a church that is without friction. Wow. That means that I can treat anyone in this church the same. Because I have no friction with any of you. And that means that you can treat anybody in this church the same way because you have no friction with them. And I'm just warning you that God's going to have it that way. And I will tell you this, I may never get up in your grill and talk to you about the friction in your life because some of you do have it. I may never get up in your grill, but you should expect that the Holy Spirit will get up in your grill because if you're meant to be there, something's got to change between you in friction and you in no friction before you take your seat at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Can I go a little further? <clears throat> that's why Brother Bram said the seal of the Antichrist. That's what we need today is a church that won't be ashamed for anyone to come into. That's what we need today is a church today that anybody wouldn't be ashamed to come into. <clears throat> it's governed perfectly. It's perfectly governed by the Holy Spirit. No fanaticism. No starchy. No fanaticism, no starchy. Even if you got a Canadian pastor, I know you're handicapped, but <laughs> there's supposed to be no fanaticism and no, no starchy. Just a good, warm church filled with God's Spirit. Good, solid, gospel-teaching pastors. That's what we need. God, help us to have it. God wants us to have it. 
I don't know about you, but I got a lot of voices that are going off in my head. <clears throat> May God have mercy on me. I heard somebody say recently that if you're not in the church, if you're not in the church where there's running and shouting and jumping and yelling and screaming, leave it. Very well-known brother, leave it. Get out of that church. If that's not the way it is, and if that's not the way they conduct their church, leave it. I thought to myself, mm, what about if somebody in the church needs teaching on how to raise their teenager who's about to make a stupid mistake? Sorry for the vernacular. How, how about if, well, you know, you understand my point. How about if, if somebody is sitting there needing instruction and needing some help? Now listen, listen. Understand the statement here. It is not all fanaticism and it's not all dry teaching over here that turns into intellectualism it's a church that is able to balance those things and be able to minister to everybody in the church and there's times when we all need a spiritual kick to get ourselves going because we've gotten lazy and you let your pastor do all the study and the research and the preaching and so forth and you're just sitting there like a student trying to absorb it in the lecture. Sometimes we need a kick in the pants. We need somebody to come along and grab us by the lapels and say, wake up, you're a part of this and you know what? You should respond accordingly. Amen. And then there's other times where, you know what? You need to just settle down and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Because you can be, you can be, you can sweat yourself to death and feel like everything's okay and then go home and listen to rock music at home. Let me tell you, the Holy Spirit needs to have free sway among us. And sometimes the Holy Spirit goes this way and sometimes the Holy Spirit goes this way. And sometimes the Holy Spirit will go all the way out this way because you know what? He's out here. And, and I understand, right? God is delighted when 99 are good and one is out here but comes back. And sometimes you got to do that. Can I go on a little bit further? Because I'm going to get in real trouble if I don't. Now, <clears throat> I, I, I want to say this, that God promised Abraham, he said, I'll make of thee a great nation. Now I'm going to turn a corner. Forgive me, I'm, I'm going to go as quick as I can. I'll make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. The nation God had in view for Abraham's descendants was a great nation. We live in a time now in a culture where that culture is directly opposed to God uh, for, for the most part. I mean, we, we're not on the, we don't have home field advantage like I described to you. We have a culture that is uh, essentially anti-biblical and probably at most non-biblical. I, I told you before, when I was in the Boy Scouts, that was the pre-gay Boy Scouts my boys are all Eagle Scouts, and before they all ended, I served in lots of positions in uh, Scouts, in the Scouting organization, because my boys were in it. And so we just didn't send them. We went with them to be a part of that, and I knew what was going on in the Scout group, for the most part. And <clears throat> when, I, when, when the Boy Scouts made a corporate decision that they were going to allow homosexuals to be leaders, and uh, that was at, at the brink of the decision to bring women in there. And so everybody was able to go on a camp out. And if your boy was rooming with a homosexual in a tent, uh, there was nothing you could say about it and all this other stuff. And that was still talked about. And I said, as the chaplain 
of Troop 246. I said to the leadership, there were 21 men who were in the room that night. And I said to them, let's draft a letter. And just at least voice our objection to this. Because that's going to ruin the Boy Scouts. And it did. And I said, before this is passed, we have to do this. We can't wait till after it's passed and then say, oh, you shouldn't have done it. We need to be an objective voice before this thing gets passed. So I said, I have a letter. I had a letter drafted saying that we object to this uh, fundamental change in the leadership, Boy Scouts and so forth. And uh, we, we solemnly protest that. We don't want to have any part of that. And I had 21 blanks at the bottom of that letter because they all said that they would sign it. And they all had a place for their name on the bottom of it. In the end of the, of the discussion, there was only two people who signed the letter, the scoutmaster and myself. Everybody else backed out because they said, well, you know, my job's going to, my boss is going to say this. And our, our company policy is that we are tolerant and inclusive. And uh, so therefore, I, I really can't sign that. If, that. if that letter gets out in the public, uh, then you know what? I'm going to have to pay a price. And, and, and so every 19 of the 21 backed out of the letter. And I said to the scoutmaster, I said, hey, you know what? Uh, if you want to back out, I felt like Jesus. I said, if you want to back out, here's a great time for you to back out now. But I said, I'm going to sign this letter and send it in. Because I think somebody needs to say that where the culture is going is absolutely crazy. And it's wrong. It's, a, it's contrary because in the Boy Scout oath, you say a scout is reverent. That's one of the things you say when you're, a, when you're a scout. And you pledge allegiance and you say the scout oath and the scout law. And one of the things you say is a scout is reverent. And I had in the letter, I said, how can we say we're reverent? When we're allowing Sodom in my son's tent. And nobody is saying anything. I said, I'm sorry. Even if it costs me my role here, I'm going to sign the letter and send it in. He signed the letter and we sent it in. Let me tell you, my days were numbered in that scout troop after that. And we got the last of the last through and then pff, we're gone. I heard a story yesterday. And I got permission to share the story in brief. I'm not going to tell you where it was. But in a message church, there was a young couple came in the back of the church. And pastor noticed him. This young associate noticed him. And uh, just a young couple had a newborn. And uh, <clears throat> sitting in the back, and this young, young man, very capable, looking after this young child. And matter of fact, over a period of time, that young man would come with that baby several times. And... Uh, be there in the church and just really grabbed on to the message, grabbed on to what was being taught in this message church. You all know the message church. And all I'm saying this for is to, to give you an indication of the culture we're living in and what Brother Branham's saying that we should be the kind of a church that anyone would be proud to come into and so forth. And so <clears throat> over a little bit of time, they began to talk to this young man and they were asking him about that. And uh, <clears throat> finally, uh, in, in conversation, the pastor finally said to that young man, he said, I need you to understand that's not a man. That's a woman. Dressed as a man. Acting like a man. And that's, that's who that is. But that, that young lady who was acting as a man, and that's why she was so good with this baby and looking after this baby. It wasn't her child, it was the other girl's child. And came and she said, my mother, my mother 
lived in California and was raised as a Christian and believed, uh, believed in the Bible, absolutely. And she said, now in my life, she said, I look at my life and it's a mess. And I'm in this, I'm in this world now. I'm caught up in this world here. And I realize that there's death marked all over it. And she said, now I'm, I want to come back. I want to come back to something that's sound. And I hear that in this church. And I hear that, you know, in the ministry of the word here. So I want to come back. And so she comes back. And, and, and they said, uh, one service she was there dressed as a man. The next service she was there dressed as a fine young lady in a dress fully, fully feminine, fully. And, and the word of God had so gripped her heart and just did a change in her. And now she comes and she's honest. You know what? Because God's not confused about gender at all. And God's not confused about what people say they want to be and what they want to be. Let me tell you, God knows exactly who they are. And when all of that dirt and stuff, that Laodicean garbage is pulled away, you know what? That person begins to really express themselves when they come in contact with a living God. I'm not saying that those people don't hurt. I'm not being indifferent to their struggles and the confusion and the pain they all have. I'm not being that way at all. But I'm saying that, that, that when God deals with a person, listen to me, when God deals with a person, he brings them back to their origin. He brings them back. He does not accept Belteshazzar. It's the book of Daniel. And that's what we should realize. When a young person comes to God, they come back to who they really are. Not a halfway and not bringing the culture into the church. Hey, let me tell you, that culture has no place in this church. As long as I'm this pastor here, that culture has no place in this church. And they said that she came in, gave her heart to the Lord, baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and was just doing fine. And she, uh, she was associated with this young man, and all of a sudden she doesn't come anymore. And, and they're in the church they're asking questions, and I'm making this story very short here. But in, this, uh, in, in, their, in their inquiries, and they found out that the mother, the mother shows up in church one Sunday from California. She comes to the church, and she comes up to the altar after service, and she's standing there talking to the pastor. And she says, I am that girl's mother. And I am the one who, who uh, raised her and so forth. And she got away from me and got out in the world and, and so forth. And he said, she said, I'm here in your city because a couple of days ago she was brutally murdered. And he said, she said, she's gone. And she said, I'm here. To, to try to pick up the pieces and to deal with this baby and all the rest of it. And she said, but I want you to know that, that my daughter told me that what she found in this church was real. And what she encountered was absolutely what she heard when she grew up. And she said, this is exactly where she came back to being the real person that she was. And all of that confusion and all of that perversion was gone. And all of it was washed away. And she said she came back to her right mind. And today, even to this day, there's no solution for that murder. The boyfriend had an alibi. There is no solution. It's just in mystery. They looked it up. The believers in the church looked it up. There was no record. There was no, uh, no follow-up by the police and so forth, just brutally murdered, snapped out of existence like that. But you know what? God knows exactly what he's doing and bringing somebody back just in time because he knows what's down the road. We should be the kind of a church that when somebody rolls in here, we should not be ashamed of who we are or who they are because you know what? We should be a lighthouse of hope and we should be a sanctuary. We should be a place where people can come and they can get help and they can hear the real thing. But not only to hear me, but they need to be able to see what I preach lived out in a congregation that really has no friction between them. What does that church look like? What a great question. 
several years ago in the Kansas Congress, in the House of Delegates in Kansas, there was a pastor who was invited to preach, or sorry, to, to do the opening prayer. His name was Pastor Joe Wright in Kansas. And he was asked to lead the Kansas State Legislature in prayer. And they were expecting the normal prayer, you know, of somebody who, uh, who would open up in prayer for that. But here's what Reverend Wright prayed. Forgive me just for a moment here, but let me just uh, quote to you what he prayed. He said, Heavenly Father, we come before you today to ask your forgiveness and to seek your direction and your guidance. And we know your word says, woe to them that call evil good and good evil. But that's exactly what we have done. And we have, he's praying now before the Senate, and he says, and we have lost our spiritual equilibrium, and we have inverted our values, and we confess that we have ridiculed, we have ridiculed the absolute truth of your word and called it pluralism. And we have worshipped other gods and called it multiculturalism. And we have endorsed, this is what he said, and we have endorsed perversion and called it an alternative lifestyle. And we have exploited the poor and called it the lottery. And we have neglected the needy and called it self-preservation. And we have rewarded laziness and called it welfare. And we have killed our unborn and called it a choice. We have neglected to discipline our children and called it building self-esteem. And we have abused power and called it political savvy. We have coveted our neighbor's possessions and called it ambition. And we have polluted the airwaves with profanity and called it freedom of expression. And we have ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers and called an enlightenment. Search us, O God, and know our hearts today. And try us and see if there be some wicked way in us. And cleanse us from every sin and set us free. Guide and bless these men and women who have been sent here by the people of Kansas, who have been ordained by you to govern the great state of Kansas and grant them your wisdom and rule and may to rule and may their decisions direct us to the center of your will. Amen. And everybody here said, Amen. you know what that is? That's a man who recognizes the culture has done a number on us and nobody was willing to sign the letter. I said, nobody was willing to sign the letter. Because everybody's quick to criticize and everybody complains about the government and everything else. But you know what? We are where we are today because people just kind of sat in their complacent seat and didn't do a thing. You know what I want you to learn to do? I want you to learn to draw a line. Because when you draw a line, then you watch God go in action. And our nation has taken the line that was drawn by our founding fathers and erased that line. And now there is no line. There is no boundaries at all. And look where it's brought us. Because a chain is as strong as its weakest link. Let me talk for a minute. Can I have a couple of more minutes? I'm on a roll. A weak link, for example. A weak link looks like this. Paul writes to Timothy, flee also youthful lusts. But follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So a young man can have a lot of it right. Or a young woman can have a lot of it right. But they might have a weak link in their life. And I'm just using this as an example. They might have a weak link. A sister may have a, a, a lot of things, a lot of ducks in a row, but there might be a weak link in here. And I will tell you something, that Satan will try to attack that weak link to break the chain because that's naturally, intelligently, logically, where you're going to attack the chain is at its weakest link. Isn't that right? I find in my conversations and my, my experience there are four problems that trouble young men. Number one, they're biblically illiterate. They don't know the promises. 
They don't know what God means when he says sin. They don't have a real good sense of what hope is, principles and patterns in the scripture. And that happens because young men don't read the Bible. I'm not just saying this about young men. I'm saying that Satan will attack you at your weakest link, no matter who you are and no matter what stage of life you're at. But for young men, uh, you, you should put your antennas up. There is no concept of an absolute hardly anymore in our world. A lot of people are governed by their feelings or situational ethics, meaning that I think in this case it's all right because I think it's all right. I think it's all right, so therefore it's okay for me having a child out of wedlock because I never really had a family. Well, it's okay for you because you never had a family. So all of a sudden we, have a, we feel like we have a right to do wrong. When I say we, we as a culture. You understand why I'm saying things about the culture here? Because I think it's very subtle and I think it's very powerful at the same time. I think that a lot of young men don't realize that choices have consequences. And you reap what you sow. And even if you're forgiven by God, there are still consequences for some of our choices that we make in life. And we should be very careful and very astute about the choices that we make. Whether it's about sexually transmitted diseases or whether it's about uh, choosing to leave school and college or whether it's to uh, be in a rush to get married or whether it's, you know, whatever, whatever the temptations are, there's a lot of things that we make in life. And even though we can be forgiven by God, there are consequences for the choices we make. And you need to know that. I believe that one of the problems that face young men is that they lack vision. They seek they need to seek God's will for their future and say, I need to know, Lord, which way you want me to go, not just today, but tomorrow. I need to know, Lord, what your long-term vision is for me, and I'm asking for your help to do it. Because Satan will attack the weak links if possible. Can I go a little bit further? Brother Bram said he broke the powers of Satan. He said he opened up the prison doors of hell. This is that day on Calvary. And he said, you don't have to no longer be torn down by sin. Somebody say amen. You don't have to no longer be torn down by sin. You don't have to no longer yield your members to sin and drinking and smoking and gambling and telling lies. You can be honest, just and upright. Men of truth. And Satan can do nothing about it. Because you got a hold of a lifeline and it's anchored in the rock of ages and nothing can shake you from it. We ought to be encouraging our young men to get a hold of that lifeline and make sure one end of it is tied to the rock of ages and pull along that rope and it'll bring you right into the presence of God at the end of the rope. It's not going to be an easy haul. It's not going to be a simple journey. But I'll tell you what, if you're hooked on the right end and you got a firm grasp on it by God's grace and with the help of the Holy Spirit, you don't have to let go and fall and get swallowed up in the culture around you. By God's grace, we'll make it because it is God's grace. Why are men in trouble? Why are young men in trouble today? Well, here's a commentary by someone who's not in the message, all right? This, is not, this person, William Bennett, is not in the message. This was written in 2011. Listen, everybody listen. In 1955, 5% of men at prime working age were employed. In 2010, 20% were not working. The highest ever recorded. And if you don't believe the numbers, just ask young women about men today. Now, here's where the women all perk up. About time somebody took my side. And you will find them talking about prolonged adolescence and men who refuse to grow up. I've heard too many young women asking the question, where are all the decent single men? There's a maturity deficit among men out there and men are falling behind. I'm going to throw the challenge out to you guys that are here and say, you are invited 
to change the statistics. You're invited to change the odds. But I will tell you this. If we look at Daniel as an example, God didn't do something. And then Daniel said, whoa, I better straighten up. Daniel drew the line and then God moved. If you want to get God's attention, you draw the line now, today. You draw the line in your lives today and you watch what God does. Here's, a, here's, here's the article, still uh, same article. This decline in founding virtues, the decline in founding virtues, work, marriage, and faith, has caught the eye of social commentators. And in her article, The End of Men, this lady wrote uh, about the unprecedented role reversal that's taken place today. Men has been the dominant sex since, well, the dawn of mankind. For the first time in human history, that's changing with shocking speed. Everybody still with me? Say amen. amen. Today, 18, 34-year-old men spend more time playing video games a day than 12 to 17-year-old boys. And while women are graduating college, finding good jobs, too many men are not going to work, not getting married, and not raising families. Women are beginning to take the place of men in many ways. Here's somebody not in the message now, observing that about young men. And for boys to become men, they need to be guided through advice, habit, instruction, example, and correction. It's true in all ages. For boys to become men, they need to be guided through advice, habit, instruction, example, and correction. It's true in all ages. Now listen, you dads and granddads that are here, don't feel bad because you can do all the right things and your kids will turn out squirrely. And you can do all the wrong things and your kids will turn out great. It's a paradox. That doesn't let you off the hook because even if your kids are squirrely, you still have a responsibility to do the right thing. And when you can't do any more, then you've got to make sure you've got a hold of that rope that's tied to the rock of ages and just keep pulling and, and apply the token to your family and pull your whole family into the presence of God. Let me tell you, what else can you do? In our, in our culture, in our time, in our day, uh, there are so many influences that, that are oppressed upon young people today. Each generation of men and women have an obligation to teach younger males and females coming behind them. Every generation of men and women have an to teach young men and women coming behind them. The founding fathers believed that industriousness, marriage, and religion are the important basis for male success and achievement. We may need to say to a number of our 20-something men, get off the video games five hours a day. Get yourself together. Get a challenging job and get married. It's time for a man to man up. Anderson? How old are you? Twelve. I thought you had a birthday. Thirteen. He said twelve, and he said thirteen. The part about getting married was not for you. Okay? Just got that? But you know what? A guy at Anderson's age needs to be thinking about where he's going to be at 16, where he's going to be at 20, because it ain't just going to happen automatically because you're sitting on the front row. Anderson's a great guy. I'm not picking on Anderson. I'm just saying that we as parents, 
We need to kind of get proactively involved here and say, my son is 13. He's beginning to think about life differently. He's beginning to look into a little bit of a different lens now. And we're going through a change here. You know what? I, we need to have that conversation. We need to talk about stuff. We need to think about what, what, what has God placed in me and what my, what my future is going to be like, my plans are. Young men who play video games and use pornography the most are being, listen, are being diligently, sorry, digitally rewired in a totally new way that demands constant stimulation. Hey, come on, go back to Daniel. What were they doing? They were rewiring his thinking with Chaldeanism on steroids. Because these guys were, hey, they're going to be great leaders. They're going to be great future uh, Babylonians. You know, they're smart, intelligent. They can do it. And they got, the, they got the grades. They got the aptitude. They're going to do it. And so they're pushing on steroids. They're pushing it. Don't you see what the devil is still doing? Digitally rewiring their thinking in a totally new way that demands constant stimulation. Because the Bible says back here that the eye is never satisfied. And the ear is never satisfied with the hearing. There's, you can never look at enough pornography and feel like, oh, well, okay, good. We've reached the limit. That's it. That's not how it works. It goes darker and darker and darker. And you know what? At the same time, hey, it becomes easier and easier and easier as we go forward. Come on, folks, don't get quiet on me. It gets easier and easier as we go along because, you know, everybody's got access to a phone practically and, and we get phones younger and younger and all of that stuff is available there. And the need is there. There's something driving that need there. It demands constant stimulation. And those developing brains are being catered to by video games and immorality on demand with a click of a mouse in endless variety. I say we need to wake up. And realize that we don't need to have a church that's out here on one end or a church over here on the other end. We need to say we live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We believe it all. We believe it all when it comes to our teenage boys. We believe it all when it comes to our teenage girls. We believe it all when it comes to our families. And we believe it all when it comes to rapturing faith. We believe it all and we want it all. And Lord, teach us all. And Lord, make it available to all. And help me to be kind of a person that listens to it all. But even greater, let me be a person who goes home and applies it all. Let's stand to our feet. Oh, I think we should go a little bit further here because Jesus said, Jesus said, they that worship him need to worship him in spirit and in truth. And sometimes the truth, the truth is, is, is just true. <laughs> it is what it is. And there's sometimes when we hear the truth, we need to just say, Lord, I'm sorry because I, 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 didn't, I didn't practice that truth. I might have heard it, but I didn't practice it so well. And Lord, I'm asking for your help now. Hey, it's okay. It's okay if you made mistakes. All you're doing is you're saying you're one of us. That's all. Uh, uh, listen, every one of us it, it would, want, would want in some ways to have uh, things back. I was doing a, a seminar in a Christian family. I was doing teaching on the Christian family a little while ago up in Ohio. And when I was there, some, I, I opened up the floor for questions, and some guy jumped up and he said, what would you do different? If you were doing it all again, what would you do different? It blew the whole day for me. I couldn't think straight after that. I, I, I never answered him. I just kept looking at him, and I said, wow. And I looked at my wife. I was hoping she'd come up with something to say, and she had nothing to say, and I was thinking, wow, wow. Well, what would I do different? 
It just stopped me right in my tracks. I think I took 15 minutes just looking at him. And I was thinking, wow, that's, that's, such, a, that's such a tough question. What would, I, what would I do differently? Footsteps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. So I can't say everything that God led us to do was a waste. But could, could we have done a bit better in some Yes, absolutely, we could have done better. Would we have had more insight, maybe prayed more? What, what? All of us, all, that's, that's all of us, folks. We all would say, man, if I had my time back. I, some of you folks out there in married land, you're saying, man, if I, if I could only be single and sitting on the front rows here and, and uh, you know, starting out and doing, making good choices here. You can't, but I'm just saying that all of us would feel that way. Let me tell you, speaking the truth like this, it makes us all feel like, even if I've blown it, Lord, I want to get back online. Amen. And if I've only got a year left, may, let me make that year a profitable year. If I've only got a, a month left, let me make that the best month of my life. That, th- th- this, this ought to stimulate us to say, if, if, I, if I only got one more service to sit in, may, may Lord just speak to me in that service. And I get out of that service what I have need of today. That's what I want to have. Forget the politics and forget all the, all the, the stuff that goes on uh, out there in the world, in the message world and everything else. Let me tell you, this, this, it's not about that. It's about you and God. It's about your relationship with God and your encounter with God. And God's trying to make you ready to get out of here. And Brother Bram's asking the question in 1959, what's that church going to look like? Well, you know what? We need, sometimes we need to just kind of look in the mirror and say, wow, is this what God sees? Lord, help me to get it right. Whatever I can, help me to get it right. Even if it's one thing I can change in my life, let me get it right. Are there any believers here today? Lord, help me get it right. If I could only do one thing, Lord, help me get it right. Help me make the correction. Help me be better aligned with your word. Oh, saints of God, he loves us and he he cares about us. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, he does. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake. Lord, have your way. I give you my soul and I live for you alone every breath that I take every moment I'm awake Lord have your way in me sing it now I hope this is your desire today oh this is my desire to honor you Lord with all my heart I worship
in you. Oh, ring it out now. Lord, I give you my heart. Lord, I give you my heart. And I give you my soul. Well, I live for you alone. Every breath that I take. Moment I'm Lord, I give you my heart. Yes, I give you my soul. And I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake. Lord, have your way in me. Every breath that I take. Every moment I'm awake. Wow. Wow. How great is our God? Sing it together now. How great is our God? Let's sing it this morning. How great is our God? Sing with me. How great is our God? And all will see how great, how great.
Hallelujah. Yes, he's a name above all names. You are That's for sure. You are God alone. You are God alone. And right now, in the good times and bad, you are on your throne. You are Everything we can give you 
are God and that's just the way it is for you are God alone from before time began you are on your throne you are God alone and right now oh you are on your throne you are God alone you're unchangeable you're unshakable One more time. You're unchangeable. You're unshakable. You're unstoppable. That's what you are. You are God alone from before time began. You are on your throne. You are God alone. Before time began, you are on your throne, you are God alone, and right now, in the good times and bad, you are on your throne, you are God alone. Change my heart, oh. Make it ever, ever true. Change my heart, oh God. Will may I be like you? You are the Change my heart. 
change my heart, may I be like you. Will change my heart, oh God. Make it ever, ever true. Change my heart, oh God, and may I be like you. Heavenly Father, as we bow in your presence today, Lord, we can say it's been good for us to be in your house. But Lord, we'll profit nothing unless we take these principles home and apply them in our lives. Father God, I pray, give us the courage and the wisdom, the inspiration to do that. We are a people, Lord, who live in a culture that's running very quickly from God. And we want to be sensitive to you, not the voice of the cosmos, but the voice from the kingdom. And Lord Jesus, there's many things you've already said and said clearly. And may we walk in obedience to those things. Be our light, be our inspiration. Help us, Lord, to walk by faith and trust you every step of the way. I thank you for these, this people, and Lord, for their love for you. And now, Lord, may you minister, Lord, peace to every heart and be our guide. Bring us back, Lord, at the appointed time, I pray. And Lord, bless our fellowship today. And we ask that you bless and minister and bring healing to the sick and those who need it. We think of Brother Troy and Sister Connie. Lord, we think of William and Henry. Think of Brother Jeremy and Brother Chris and their families, Lord. May you just be very present with them in each one, Lord. We commit our hearts into your care. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Change my heart, oh God, and make it ever, ever true. Change my heart, oh God, will may I be like you. You are the
my healer and by your stripes I am sin set free My healer and by your 